listening to episode 153 of Flick Fights, the official podcast of FlickChart.com. Hello, Flick Charters, and welcome to Flick Fights, the official Flick Chart podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Chase. I'm Hannah Kiefer. And I'm Doug Van Hollen. And we're about to get into it over which films are the best of all time through a series of movie matchups head to head. And as we battle it out and decide which is the better film, our chart grows and refines to reflect all of our collective taste in movies. If you're not already on FlickChart, head over to FlickChart.com, sign up for an account, which is absolutely free, and rank all the movies that you've ever seen in your entire life. On this episode, we're going to be adding Steven Spielberg's latest film, Ready Player One, to our chart. Let's go ahead and get into fights in the Thunderdome. Two men, hand to hand. No jury, no appeal, no parole. Two men enter, one man leaves. Weapons. Anything is possible. Chance decides. Thunderdome. How do I get in there? That's easy. Pick a fight. So the first matchup is Captain America the First Avenger against Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So this is the uh, origin story film of Captain America of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, directed by Joe Johnston, and uh, kind of a, a period piece within the the uh, MCU. And then we've got Steven Spielberg's other science fiction film, uh, of, of which he has done many, um, <laughs> his tale of aliens uh, visiting Americans and making them go crazy and and uh, <laughs> and it's it's such a weird movie um it's it's really hard to ex- to explain and describe how awkward and strange close encounters is in addition to the fact that it's all about something you know otherworldly and and ex- extraordinary uh with aliens and stuff but but the aliens are such a tiny part of it in in a lot of ways it's it's so much more about hu- human behavior and and the the nature of dreams and all kinds of stuff. So anyway, um, I think both of these are really good, but I think Close Encounters is incredibly cinematic uh, in in a way that Captain America just just can't compete necessarily. But um, are, are either one of you guys really hot on uh, Captain America or n- lukewarm on Close Encounters enough to to, to change it around? I, I am both of those. I, okay. <laughs> um, Close Encounters is one that I've, I need to go back and revisit. When I first saw it, I really didn't know a lot about it. I didn't have any kind of preconceived notion going into it, except that I knew it was about aliens from the title. And and I think <clears throat> I think I grew impatient with it. And, and wanted the aliens to be more central to the story and found myself kind of, uh, because that's, that's really not what's going on in much of the story. And I right. found myself anxious and antsy to get 
past what I kept seeing as the filler, which obviously turned out to be the entire movie. And so (laughs) my, my, my perception of it was colored by that. My, and, and I just remember being uninterested in it. I've, been curious if I went back and rewatched it, if I'd still feel that way, or if knowing kind of where, what its focus was, if it would, uh, if I would receive it differently. But right now, I, I don't have, I, I, I'm, I am lukewarm on it. I remember thinking it was fine, but that I wanted more to happen. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm in that rare camp. I actually like the first Captain America is probably my favorite of the Captain Americas. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a little, um, <clears throat> It's a little, it's a little brighter. It's more fun. It's less uh, like darkly grittily examining the the political aspects of things, mm-hmm. and and that's where I tend. To, that's the zone I tend to like my superhero movies to be in. And so I have a I have a fondness for Captain America. I don't know of these two that if I was like actually objectively voting on which one was the better film. I don't know that I would feel as confident picking Captain America, but uh, but as far as which, for my, which film I prefer, which film I would rather we watch, I would definitely go with Captain America on this one. We have two really different stories being told about America here. I mean, I think mm-hmm. that, you know, mm-hmm. fundamentally the interesting things, I may, maybe just as I get older, that The Close Encounters becomes an interesting political story or uh, a conspiracy tale, right? Because all that filler that uh, turns a lot of people away, and, you know, not just you, Hannah, I mean, like, it it, it has to do with these machinations, these hidden machinations within the government activating in order Mm -hmm. to, you know, that this is our first contact apparatus that is being activated. Um, the, um, The America of Captain America, at least in this first film, is much less opaque. You know, the he he becomes he comes into fruition at a time when there was kind of less uh less cynicism in uh, you know about about the country and he is happy to kind of embody that lack of cynicism and that's sort of one of the things that makes him so interesting that when he comes forward in time that that's what he's constantly kind of butting his head against is the cynicism that just pervades our culture starting oh about 1977 at the release of Close Encounters of the Third Kind let's go ahead and blame all of our cynicism (laughs) Close Encounters encounters. made it happen yeah Uh, I I'm voting Close Encounters here because of the ambiguity about it that I love so much Um, I loved that part of it even before I kind of hardcore got into UFO and first contact research uh, for sort of the middle couple decades of my life uh, for a while. And then, you know, once I, once I actually learned about all four kinds of close encounters and I kind of learned what MUFON was and I learned about the, the Kodai system and the the possibilities of, of um, musical, musical and mathematical communication. Like it becomes a much deeper story. And I think that the reason that it, it stay has stayed so rich for me is because there's, there's so little dialogue in so much of it that you, you don't have this, kind of hokey kid alien movie that yeah. I, you know that E.T. could have been dragged down by the kind of poor quality of its dialogue um, I, it wasn't um, it, and like the rest of its story and its emotional moments were so strong um, but 
the Close Encounters is an alien film where they stripped out as much of the dialogue as possible and becomes a very adult film um, and that that I love very much. I also love Captain. I've kind of become a Captain America fan because of these films, um, but it can't unseat Close Encounters for me. Yeah, yeah. One thing that's interesting that uh, I think is pretty telling if you watch the most recent documentary on Spielberg uh, that was on, I think it was HBO recently. Uh, he talks, you know, at length about his, his filmography and when they discuss Close Encounters, uh, the, the discussion comes up that he was right in the middle of a divorce during mm-hmm. that movie. And it kind of <laughs> is reflected pretty strongly in the movie itself. Like, I, I think uh, the the protagonist almost reflects Spielberg in in sort of an autobiographical way in some way that where he's he 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 has this drive and this passion and this 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 need to create something and he doesn't know what it is and he he knows that it means something and that it's awesome and that it's amazing and everybody else around him doesn't understand what he's going through and this is sort of just like (laughs) all about Spielberg you know it's very kind of um his his own journey as a as a blockbuster director to try to say I, I have art to, to tell and I have art to make and and I'm kind of being held back by uh, my my family and my everything that's around <laughs> me at the, at the at the present time so yeah that that's so tricky though I mean because I, I yeah. think in, in the decades since people have really questioned Richard Dreyfus's the morality of Richard Dreyfus's decision to leave his shrew of a wife and his terrible children <laughs> you know like th- that family is constructed horribly like it, there's right. like no sympathy <laughs> in his entire home life and yep. and like you know that that, that that's a, that's a questionable moral decision um <laughs> No matter what Mr. Spielberg's going through, and he of course has right. my sympathies, but come on, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, beyond that, I, I think it, it's just visually spectacular. I, I saw it with my wife in the theater uh, not too uh, long ago because they re-released it for a, mm-hmm. kind of a promotion for the Blu-ray um, that they did, and it's it was just fantastic. Uh, it, it works so well in it, on a big screen. Um, all of the 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 ending sequence is just. It's magical. Uh, it's it's movie uh, perfection for me. I, I just think Close Encounters is fantastic. So, uh, okay, so Close Encounters is going to beat Captain America: The First Avenger. Okay, next up we have How to Train Your Dragon against Spy Kids. So, How to Train Your Dragon is a DreamWorks film, uh, sort of the. The next major franchise out of DreamWorks, I think, after Shrek. And uh, Spy Kids is Robert Rodriguez's uh, children's sci-fi spy kid movie franchise um, after he made stuff like Desperado. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So um, I haven't seen Spy Kids since 2001, I guess. So it's it's been a while. I, I remember liking it pretty well at the time. I, I I don't remember anything about the sequels if I've even seen them. Mm. Um, but I remember it feeling pretty fun and and pretty imaginative. And I think I saw it strictly because Robert Rodriguez was the director, and, and that was really the only draw for me at the time. Um, How to Train Your Dragon is really good too. Um, it's um, 
it, it's a little bit more elevated than your average kids' fair, I think. It, it has uh, some pretty spectacular animation and the dynamic between uh, the protagonist character and his dragon is, is really good. It's, it's kind of... Um, they go back and forth between, you know, being friends and, and the sort of dynamic of, you know, can you tame a dragon? Uh, and, Mm. and it's, it's, it's got an interesting story to it. I think, um, I, I think having not seen either one of these in a while, I, I probably would go how to train your dragon over spy kids because spy kids is probably a little cheesy and a little dated, uh, but um, I don't know. Have you? Have either one of you seen it more recently than when it came out? No. I mean, I, I, I've seen How to Train Your Dragon a couple times and the sequel. Mm-hmm. And I've seen the television series. Uh, mm. I'm, uh, yeah, apparently I'm on board. I didn't really. I kind of <laughs> had an accident. I, I, I think I've only seen Spy Kids the once. Maybe a couple, maybe like parts on television. It, it's good. It's much better than than I kind of thought it would be kind of going into it. And, and every time it, it's, I, I bump into it in in the middle on television it's sort of like oh i forgot that this is like it's a really solidly put together action film uh that has no swearing and no serious bloody injuries in it like that's really kind of the difference um uh, with with a a kid's action film which there is i don't think there's really enough of Uh, right the the main benefit of movies like that is that it shows it shows young people in power, like, you know, having agency, which is like something that I complain about all the time about my own childhood, which was totally great, but I still complain about being a kid, right? Like just that, that, that kind of fundamental characteristic of being a kid is that you just feel so powerless. And then you have this kind of interesting dynamic about how their parents turn out to be super spies and they have a wall that turns around with all these gadgets. And it's, it's just fun. It's just so much fun. Um, and there's a lot of really great really great editing and um and, and physical comedy how to train your dragon is a is a m- very modern um children's movie in that it's a little preachy uh mm-hmm. it's very funny and very breathtaking the animation is astonishing and the flight sequences that you, you know just your mm-hmm. your blood just pumps I, I think i'm gonna pass out um but the uh they they really they really hit you on the head with the uh, ecological lessons and I'm like you know I'm I'm a green guy all the way, uh, but um, it it really really hits that point hard, which is good because I didn't really want a movie that kind of glorified the dragon hunting a little you know too much I, that that doesn't mm. that would upset me. But yeah, I'm I'm going dragon here. Uh, I think that it's you know it's not it's not a perfect example of what it wanted to be i think that dreamworks has always kind of its storytelling is is what separates it from the truly the best pixar's but um mm-hmm. it, similarly it shows young people with actual power and intelligence and it puts them in legitimate danger as we see at the end where the main character has a severe permanent injury Right. which I mm-hmm. think is one of the boldest choices any children's film has ever made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to vote with the crowd and go with how to train your dragon as well. I think it's DreamWorks. Um, DreamWorks turns out a lot of movies and a lot of them are just very, very forgettable, very uh, messy, very things that just don't, 
don't deserve to be mentioned in the same sentence as Pixar. And, and then things like How to Train Your Dragon, every once in a while, they come along with something that's really, uh, really lovely and really, uh, it, it, it does reach the emotional depths of storytelling that I think it's trying to. Now, it could, it could be more. It could be, it, it could be incredible and I think it's very very close and uh, and certainly a lot closer than a lot of the other movies around that time that DreamWorks was releasing and so I and I again yeah it looks fantastic I am less into uh, spy kids than either of you I <laughs> for me for me there's a um, the interactions between the children has an undercurrent of such nastiness to it <laughs> that I can't I can't get past it and um, and and in a way that's never really truly resolved, and um, and I, I was the bullying older sister in my childhood, <laughs> mm. and that does not make for a pleasant family dynamic or for wacky family hijinks. It makes everybody miserable, including me. And so it was, uh, it was a little bit of a stretch for me Too close to, to be able to to see this and be like, oh yeah, that's cute. I was just like, oh no, they have their that poor child is going to be, you know. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is going to mess with them for a long time, and and so the, so that that undercurrent of just um, of of nastiness, borderline cruelty, and how they treat each other uh, definitely drags it way down for me, um, and uh, and and it, it it does not get resolved satisfactorily enough for me to actually ever be on board with them as heroes, <laughs> um, even even as like messy heroes and so i i definitely think how to train your dragon is a a much better movie i think spy kids if it did not have that type of dynamic between the siblings uh i i would be more inclined to 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 enjoy it more but as it is that one thing is just it 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 does not work for me <laughs> and so so how to train your dragon is going to get my vote for sure all right how to train your dragon is going to beat spy kids Okay, next up we have Peter Pan against Insomnia. So this is the Disney Peter Pan from 1953. And Insomnia is Al Pacino, Robin Williams, and Hilary Swank in a early Christopher Nolan film from 2002. So the thing I remember about Insomnia is that it's set in Alaska, I think. Mm-hmm. And... And it's constantly daytime and it's hard to sleep and and it's kind of a weird thriller set on top of that backdrop. And that's all I remember. Um, <laughs> uh, Peter Pan, you know, it's 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 iconic, classic Disney. It's got the uh, the the music. You can fly, you can fly, you can fly. Um it's, I don't know. It's it, it's not necessarily one that I would reach for um, within Disney's uh, pantheon as as you know one of the greatest ones that they've done. But it's it's fine. It's it's a good one. Um, I, I my my feelings on both of these are are fairly neutral. So I'm I'm <laughs> struggling on on what to. Uh, what to push for. I think Peter Pan's certainly the more iconic film. So maybe just just from a, a purely uh, what it has done for cinema and, and what it has aided culture, I guess. Um, I, Peter Pan's the more important and the more successful film. 
Um, Insomnia, while it's probably better than half of Christopher Nolan's movies, if not more, um, <laughs> it's not particularly <laughs> memorable uh, to me. So, um, I don't know. Are you guys uh, big fans of Insomnia? Is that one that has stayed in your memory more than mine? No, definitely not. There's, <laughs> okay. it, it was, it, it, I remember about as much of it as you do. Okay. Um, there was a crime involved in there somewhere. Right. I got, I got that. Um, Peter Pan is, <clears throat> I haven't seen it since I really became aware of how problematic the entire segment with the uh, the the Native Americans mm. <laughs> in in like they have an entire segment about it mm. that is not great um but uh so so i so there's a part of me that's that's a little worried to go back to it and revisit it because the last before that uh, up until that point i really really loved peter pan i think it's um i've i've always been a fan of the pan story and i think that uh, disney just does just such a lovely job with this um up until this point the stories of Peter Pan had Peter Pan had almost exclusively been played by adult women <laughs> on stage and in film, mm-hmm. and so this was uh, this was one of the this is uh, while this has been a, a much more common thing recently. This was for a long time the only portrayal of Peter Pan as an actual young boy, and I think that definitely adds something to it, <laughs> like portraying him as he was written in the story. And I think some of the so, some of the sequences are really cool. I think the music is really good. Um, I think uh, I, I think some of the characters that Tinkerbell has taken on a life of her own because she's a, such mm-hmm. an entertaining character in there when she was not not uh not nearly as prominent in the original stories and i so i think peter pan is is um uh, is is a, is a good movie i think there's it's got some elements that are a little disconcerting but i think as a whole i think it's i think it's great and it's definitely more memorable for me than insomnia and uh so i'm i'm definitely giving the nod to peter pan here oh yeah to- totally agree totally agree i mean insomnia is a is a film that's full of violence and tragedy and psychosis and it's boring like it's really i'm (laughs) like astonished by it yeah i'd like it's like it's it's in the shape of of a good film and it sort of has all the components of a good film like on paper it should be like a real this really great thriller but I, it just that the parts just don't come together, and I um, I have yeah. tried to rewatch it to try to kind of figure that out. Um, I think part of it might be the casting. I think that they they probably saw that we could get Pacino versus Pacino versus Williams, and like wow, mm-hmm. how great! But I think that they <laughs> were the they were kind of the wrong choices for these for these sorts of roles, especially Pacino. Pacino does not he doesn't play the downward spiral character very well. I think that he does different mm. characters. He, he, he's better at another kind of character, uh, which, you know, I won't try to speculate on out loud, although I'm doing it in my head right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think that like the, the point of this film is to watch his, to, is to watch the Pacino character's gradual degradation and his 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 um, mental state starts to break, and you know the trauma that he he's gone through with the internal affairs that he's you know there's there was there was some like subplot going on back in Los Angeles that is kind of feeding into the insomnia that is that he's experiencing up in the Arctic Circle. But 
Like it's, it, it ultimately wound up with me not caring. I mean, I think, um, with, with Peter Pan, uh, this period of Disney, I think was a little bit, uh, a little bit water thin. Um, this was, I think this was just two years after Alice in Wonderland, which is kind of similarly mm -hmm. like, let's tell a bedtime story. You know, and it kind of mm -hmm. it, it didn't didn't really swing for the fences. I think there's some really good sequences with the oh, crocodile or alligator. I can't remember. Oh, I'm gonna get letters the, yeah, about the that. Yeah, the crocodile. Crocodile. Okay. Uh, and because um, there's the, the a Tinkerbell song about it. <laughs> right, right, right. And the Tinkerbell character is uh, really well done for an animated character. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Honestly, though, but between Peter Pan and Hook, I would choose Hook. Uh, mm -hmm. as, as an examination of, mm -hmm. of the themes. Um, but in this particular matchup, I st still think I'm going to go with Peter Pan. I think it's a lot more fun. And, um, you know, cultural appropriation uh, aside, uh, this was mm -hmm. in the source material. So what are they supposed to do? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So Peter Pan beats Insomnia. Okay. So next up, we have Rushmore up against Citizen Kane. Wow. So uh, I'm surprised that Citizen <laughs> Kane is not on our chart yet, but um, here it is. Um, Rushmore is my favorite of all of the Wes Anderson films. I think it's the one that is the least uh, twee of all of his movies. Uh, it's the one that feels like he's not trying so hard. Uh, whereas after Tenenbaums, everything feels exactly like Tenenbaums to me. <laughs> um, in terms of his visual style, it, he kind of just latched onto it and, and has never let go. Whereas Rushmore feels more like a, a an actual straight up narrative and film, and but it's also really really good and it's got great performances and and it's got the beginnings of his style, but it's not so over the top that it's banging you in the head. Right, um, right. Um, but. It's Citizen Kane. Um, it is one of the greatest films of all time. Not just because everybody says it is, but it genuinely is a great movie, um, especially for 1941. The, the performances are great. The framing is great. The use of, of light and shadow is second to none. Almost there's there's only a, maybe a handful of movies that I can think of that are, are even in the same ballpark as uh, what Citizen Kane does. Uh, it's just amazing. It's really, really good. Um, and anybody that hasn't seen it should see it. Um, I, I, as much as I love Rushmore, I don't know that I could say uh, that it has a, a candle to Citizen Kane. But what do you guys say? I mean, I think there's probably an argument to be made for Rushmore. I, I can't make it. I think that <laughs> right. my films tend to be poorly lit and with sad endings and that is what <laughs> citizen kane is in all, all of the best ways i mean I, I love i love films with a really long decrescendo a really long downhill into the gutter and mm. um and citizen kane is sort of is sort of like the the fine art operatic version of the best film noir you've ever seen I heard it described as a film noir once and it kind of, it just stuck in my mind as sort of like, it has so many of the characteristics of a film noir except for all the tropes. 
of of that mm-hmm. genre. But I mean, mm-hmm. it's told backwards. It's about gender. There's a femme fatale. You know, they have you have all of these. Uh, you, have, you have all that, you have that style. You have Dutch angles. You know, like it it borrows so much, or well, maybe introduces into into the <laughs> film lexicon. Uh, so so many of the things that I find in all of my favorite films. I think that Rushmore is fantastic. I mean, Rushmore wins so many matches for me. Um, yeah. Again, it's because we have young people with power who are having fun and who are making an actual palpable difference in the world. Um, and um, uh, it is just a little too happy of an ending. I think. I think that's ultimately what's going to come down to here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I am going to, again, go with the group. I think Citizen Kane is the better movie. I watched it as part of actually in a film appreciation class when I was first starting to get into into film. And I think that was what I needed to do to be able to fully appreciate it for all that it does, because we spent so much time kind of dissecting it and looking at it so that mm-hmm. when I finally so that I could see it all <laughs> and didn't just uh didn't just take it at story value, but was really able to see all the rest of it. Um, Rushmore is is fine. I I do have a mild preference for the later Andersons. They I, I feel like the quirkiness gives me uh, sort of a it gives me a way in to the to the tone and the story that I can kind of understand. And Rushmore is a little bit more distant for me. It's a little bit tougher for me to latch onto what this film is about, <laughs> but. Um, but but yeah, but even even if I like got Rushmore on the same level that I like the other Anderson films, it would not beat Citizen Kane because Citizen Kane is just really fantastic in uh, in a lot of ways. So I'm I'm voting Citizen Kane here as well. All right, Citizen Kane beats Rushmore. I think we made the right choice there, gang. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think anyone listening is going to be. Uh berating us later. Oh dear, I think you've just set out a challenge, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) People, there are a lot of people who love Rushmore and think Citizen Kane is overrated. I don't know if they're the same people, but (laughs) (laughs) but they might be. I I think there's a certain class of person who will assume that anything rated highly is overrated. They kind of go into it with that assumption, which is oftentimes a healthy assumption. in life. Yeah, I mean, it just depends on whether or not they would ever be willing to acknowledge that something is worth the hype, which it often is. Yeah. All right, so now we've got When Harry Met Sally up against Evil Dead 2. So this is Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan uh, in a quirky romantic comedy against Sam Raimi's pseudo-sequel in the Evil Dead franchise with Bruce Campbell. Um, Evil Dead 2 is super funny. When Harry Met Sally is also pretty, pretty funny and pretty good. Um, uh, I like both of them and I can't think of any similarities between the two of them. (laughs) Um, yeah, um, I don't know. Uh, I I really liked When Harry Met Sally. I, I felt like it was... They had a good chemistry. Um, it's not s- too small of a film. Like it feels like it, f- it has uh, a good amount of time that it follows these characters. And I always like mm-hmm. when when the story 
isn't just like only a couple days when it feels like it has uh, a longer story to tell about a relationship. And you look at movies like Annie Hall or uh, Serendipity or some of these other films, like it feels like it's just you, you get to know the characters and the relationship more when they have you know years or decades to tell it. Um, so I always like that uh, in a romantic comedy. But is it enough to say that it's better than Evil Dead 2, which is kind of one of the best horror comedies ever made? Um, I don't know. Uh, What do you guys think of these? Is one superior to the other immediately to you? For me, while I like both of these, this is an instant win for When Harry Met Sally for me. Sure. I think that I, I well, I like Evil Dead Two significantly more than I liked Evil Dead One. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's <clears throat> it's still it it it's still not one that I. When Harry Met Sally is not only they're, they're both they're both I, I find them both maybe similarly not similarly uh, equally funny in different very different ways, mm. um, but When Harry Met Sally also is makes me feel things <laughs> and <laughs> and you really get to to know and to love the characters and like are really rooting for them in a way that uh that doesn't happen quite as much for evil dead 2 um because you you know he's gonna defeat them there's not that much like <laughs> it, it doesn't get you like as on board with the characterization and their depth and growth um right. but uh, which i mean which wasn't what it was going for but it um since since they're very similarly again i keep saying similarly that's not true equally funny mm-hmm. to me in uh i i have to give the nod to to the one that um that i walk away feeling great after having watched um also i think when harry met sally has one of the uh the the best soundtracks uh composed of other not just not score but uh, the the songs that they chose to underscore the scenes and to to pair with them are just really perfect and mm-hmm. uh, works they work really really well together and so i'm i'm voting when harry met sally but i think evil dead 2 is also a lot of fun uh both uh, both of these films are um they are kind of like for, they're they're not my preferred examples of their genre. Uh, they hmm. and so I haven't really spent a lot of time with either one of them. I mean, if I'm if I'm thinking about when Harry met Sally, you know, I'm just I'm just gonna watch Sleepless in Seattle instead. And mm-hmm. if I'm thinking about Evil Dead Two, then I'm gonna watch Evil Dead One or you know Hellraiser or something like that. Like you know, like it's Evil Dead Two sense of humor isn't my sense of humor, and so that's not why I'm showing up for it. Uh, mm. So I, I, you know, so neither one of these movies ha- has really um, has really gotten along with me very well. I think that uh, what I'm gonna what I'm gonna try to what's gonna take this is is Billy Crystal as just as a character and as a kind of an energy on the screen. I, I find him very, very wonderful and very charming. I think that mm-hmm. this probably is not his best work. I would say Throw Mama from the Train is my favorite mm-hmm. Billy Crystal film because he has much a better foils in that. So I think that that's when he works the best. Um, 
but yeah, I think that, you know, it's just a more comfortable movie to sit through for me than, than Evil Dead 2. Um, <laughs> sure. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I just need to spend more time with it. I mean, these are so iconic. I mean, these this is sort of on that. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's sort of like an interim list of shame of like films that, yes, technically I've seen. And they're, yes, they're probably on my chart somewhere. But like, I don't, I have never really tapped into their cult following um, mm-hmm. the, way, the way that, I don't know, I would like to. All right. Well, I think I will probably go When Harry Met Sally of the two. Um, I I think... I think actually of the Evil Dead movies, the Army of Darkness is probably my favorite, um, even though... It's it's my favorite as well. It's like, it kind of goes backwards. It's like Army, then Evil Dead 2, then Evil Dead 1 in terms of my preference, Mm -hmm. whereas it sounds like for you, Doug, it might be the opposite. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I guess, you know, the, the horror comedy... You know, I would prefer it to be one or the other. I mean, I, I think that it's a better horror film. It's, it's like someone took a good horror film and then ruined it with comedy. <laughs> you know, that's how, how it feels to me. And that's wrong, mm-hmm. according to the culture. <laughs> are, are there any like black comedy horror films that, that you can think of that, that you really that speaks to you? Like it's something like um, Black Christmas or or I don't know. I'm trying to think of any like <laughs> dark comedy horror movies um no. something like tucker and dale versus evil maybe All right, yeah or- tucker and dale versus evil was was okay it was okay yeah um yeah maybe that's even more on the comedy spectrum yeah than the exactly that spectrum, was a, but- that was a a comedy film that took place in a horror setting and i think that right, this was right. a horror film that took place in a comedy setting or something i don't know I, i've been trying to think of some clever way to phrase it mm-hmm. like that and i can right. i can't yeah so i i don't want to be offering excuses for for why i, I don't like evil dead 2 i have right. no excuse i mean i think that there's i can tell when i watch it why people like it uh and uh, good on you <laughs> right all right so when harry met sally beats evil dead 2 three keys Three hidden challenges test for worthy trades. Revealing three hidden keys to three magic gates. And those with the skill to survive these straits will reach the end. Where the prize awaits. Let the hunt begin. Okay, so it's now time for the title fight. And we're going to be talking about Ready Player One, which is directed by Steven Spielberg and stars Ty Sheridan as the main character, Wade Watts. Um, and it also has Ben Mendelsohn and Olivia Cook. And it's based off the best-selling novel by Ernest Cline. And it seems to have a very hate or love uh, sort of reaction. There, There isn't too much middle ground on Ready Player One. It seems it's, it's you're either on board for the nostalgia fest that it is, or you think it's uh, self-congratulatory or um, 
you know, it, you're, a lot of people point to the novel and say it just sounds like he's rattling off a bunch of stuff and saying, look at me, look at how much <laughs> stuff I know and look at how mm-hmm. many things that name I can name drop or, or whatever. Um, some of the some of us have turned that into an actual personality. <laughs> so, you know, it, it just, I think it depends on who you are coming into it. And it definitely feels mm-hmm. like uh, based on how old you are, you're going to have a very different mm-hmm. view of it. Um, you're either going to have extremely strong, resonant feelings about all of the, the, the things that are referenced, or you're either going to not know any of them, um, potentially. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going to be completely in the dark. And I think it works uh, both ways, though. Like, for instance, um, I took to see my son, uh, or took to took my son to see Ready Player One with me. And, you know, he doesn't know, you know, 95% of the, the references mm-hmm. that are being made. But he, you know, he he can see stuff where they mention Minecraft and he obviously knows that. And he sees a, a couple of other, like, more modern things that they threw in. He, he understands who the Iron Giant is and, and what the DeLorean yeah. is and, and things like that. So it still works even for... Um, you know, a young person today, but I don't know if it works for somebody maybe in their twenties because it's sort of like that halfway between, like it's not necessarily their generation. It just seems like it's uh, a couple generations past. I don't know. Uh, When I read the book, it felt like it was written expressly for me. (laughs) Like I I was, Mm -hmm. you know, there's an entire sequence in the, in the book where they're reliving the the movie War Games, which is in my <laughs> really top have 20. to redo the entire thing. Yeah. So you know, I, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, this cannot be happening. This is <laughs> this is literally my dream. I would love to do this. You know. Um. And as a film, I think they did a great job of transcribing it a little bit. You know, they mm-hmm. they had to make some adjustments and 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 they transposed some events and characters and made it all work cinematically uh, as well as they could because the the book is so extremely detailed and extremely nerdy and uh, does some things that wouldn't make sense to happen on screen it would just be boring so I I think it's I think it's actually really uh, a great film I I, I came out with uh, came away from it feeling all the things that I want to feel from a action Spielberg sci-fi movie it was it was energetic it was very fun uh it was uh the pacing was solid like there was never a dry moment um it felt like the 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 plot was moving exactly as fast as it should uh the all of the visual stuff was really great um i don't know i I didn't have anything to complain about you know um coming out of it so i i was i was a big fan it came i think it's my 99 on my chart right now so, um, yeah, I really liked it. What did you guys think? All right. I, I liked it pretty well. Um, I loved the book. The book okay. um, was super fun for me. It was absolutely a ridiculous nostalgia fest. And it was absolutely a, 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 a um, it, it, it was very silly in how many things it crammed in there just for fun. Mm-hmm. But I enjoyed it. <laughs> It was something yeah. where I was like, yeah, this makes, this is ridiculous, but I am totally willing to accept this in the world because I'm having so much fun identifying references and getting things. And I think it was smart of them to, to kind of, um, to 
to broaden that scope a little bit for the film because the book is incredibly nerdy in 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 good and bad ways. Um, right. it, it gets very much into it very much taps into this sense of <laughs> sort of like don't worry all you nerdy people someday your knowledge will be valuable. <laughs> Right. And and like really kind of plays into this sort of uh, this 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 fantasy that knowledge of pop culture is going to make you incredibly incredibly wealthy someday, um, and and I loved it. I thought it was fun. I thought it was silly. Um, and I think it was smart of the film to to take a step back from that and make it a little bit more accessible to to everybody by throwing in some modern references, by toning down the intensity of some of the references that were there, <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, by making it more about more characterization based. Um, and so I think it made some smart choices. That being said, I missed that. Um, I, I I don't know if that makes me more of a pop culture snob than I thought I was. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I I didn't I did not have nearly when I, when I read through the challenges in the books and the puzzles that they have to solve every one of those. Even if I didn't get the exact reference, even if I didn't know the video games being referenced mostly, but mm-hmm. even if I didn't get it, I got. I got a huge kick out of how clearly tapped into that extremely specific fandom it was. And that, that doesn't, because they broadened it in the movie, that sense of, Oh my gosh. Yay. It's this one thing that I feel like nobody loved, but me gets lost a little bit. And, um, and I think it, I, I think it's, I think it's the only way they could have done it and made it for a wide audience. But the sense of joy that I had while reading the book was um, was brought down quite a bit, and I still I still think it's I think still think it's an interesting story. Um, <clears throat> I think they struggled a li- little bit with the exposition at the beginning. It was like ninety percent just straight up narration over the story for for like the first third of the film, mm-hmm. um, which got a little distracting to me. Um, <clears throat> And but I, I by the end I was on board. By the end I loved the I loved that they they did take kind of a, a right turn from the book and make it a teamwork story. Whereas in the original it really is a little bit about like this one super amazing dude who saves the day mostly. Right, right, right. Not entirely, but mostly. And I really loved that they brought the teamwork element back into it and been and and made it less you know just this one dude's fantasy of being the most important smartest person ever. Um, but, but so, so, so I like, I liked, I think that they made smart choices. I missed the elements that I loved in the book so much. And I had to kind of, I ha- I'm still kind of making my peace with the fact that it's just a very different beast that I'm not, that when I, that if I grow to love it, it's not, it's going to be because it's not like the book. Um, and that I can't, that I can't look for the same things that I liked about the book in that, because that's not what this is doing. It's doing, it's doing this on a, on, on a broader level, on a, on a, uh, um, a wider level, a more inclusive level, and I have to let it be inclusive. <laughs> um, yeah. And as as a really minor nitpick, I really I'm a little bothered by the fact that the Iron Giant was used as a weapon <laughs> uh, because that's kind right. of going the antithesis of the entire mm. story. And so there's a little part of me that went, "Oh no, oh no, don't do that." <laughs> uh, but that's but that was really that was a really minor thing. So I I liked it. I I was expecting to love it, and I. I, I did not feel that sense of joy or delight that I felt when I read the book. And so I, and, and it, so I found it a little disappointing. I still think it's good. I think it was smart what they did. I think if they had made it the way I wanted it to, so many people would have been like, this is really dumb. And so I think, I think it was a good idea. I just, I did not connect with it as much as I wanted to. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, if you think about how nerdy and and ultra detailed the Jurassic Park book was compared to the movie, mm-hmm. I, I think yes. that's kind of a, a pretty pretty apt comparison. Like, because Jurassic Park, the movie is very popcorny and very special effects heavy and 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 adventure heavy and fun heavy. Mm-hmm. Whereas the book is much more just like, here's the numbers, here's the science, here's all of the the nitty gritty details about uh, mm-hmm. you know dino dinosaur DNA uh, extraction and, and collection and and all the science behind it. So mm-hmm. they they get into it just a tiny bit in the movie, but not anywhere near as much as they do in the book. Whereas yeah. this, and this is the same thing, like. The, they gloss over some of the nerdiness um, to allow the the bigger fun action adventure story to mm-hmm. be told, which I think, you know, that's what Spielberg does. That's his job. No, I think you know? it's absolutely the right choice. <laughs> I think I think it's the right choice. I think it. I I don't think that it would have been a good idea to make the movie I wanted them to make. I think I would have <laughs> right, liked right. it, and a few other people would have liked it, and most people would have been like, "That's so dumb." <laughs> So, yeah. so I'm glad I'm glad for most people that they did the way they did. Well, I do not like ever being it, the only person in a room that hasn't read a book. So I'm already I'm getting into this with a chip on my shoulder already. <laughs> um, so I have I have two tiny points and then two actual questions for you guys that I, I'm going mm-hmm. to help me out with. First of all, this is definitely the best adaptation of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory that there's ever been made. <laughs> no question. Uh, the the other point I wanted to make is that, the, like, I think that this is going to, this is another example of a trend that we've seen in a little bit of other art. We're going to see this more in movies of it's a kind of retrofuturism. It's like a baby boomer retrofuturism mm-hmm. where like the future, no one actually thinks the future is going to be like that. Uh, like this is the, what the, what this is what the people in the eighties thought the future would be like, um, mm-hmm. you know, where you would have, you know, that cause, cause that this kind of virtual reality, that kind of, uh, interactivity is not what anyone wants now. We're not driving towards that. I didn't think now I'm not a member of the MMORPG subculture anymore mm-hmm. they shut down Archlord 10 yeah. years ago and i'm still kind of bummed about it but the um <laughs> the so i i think that there's definitely like maybe in certain subcultures there is this sense that you log on and become someone else in the early days of the of the internet of the web that was the whole point is that you become someone else but then the mm-hmm. web became a place to be yourself and then we kind of lost that um so I, I just think that, you know, I think it's an important movie in that sense where we are going to start to, you know, we're going to, it's in kind of a new kind of science fiction where we're not actually trying to predict the future uh, anymore. We're, we're playing games uh, with, with, with what our, with maybe like what, what my parents' generation thought, thought the future would be like, which is kind of interesting. Um. So yeah, I think it's I think it's a good film. I, I think it's good. Uh, so question number one, minor point. There, uh, there's a line where show where they're ta- where they're talking. They're in The Shining, and H says to show, "Have you seen The Shining?" And show says something like, and again, I've just seen it once in the theater. Show says something like, "I would have to watch it with my fingers." And I thought at that point, "Oh, show is blind." Like how interesting. Okay. <laughs> 
And so I spent no. the middle third of the movie <laughs> thinking that the show character's blind. We go into the real world, show, show shows up, and the whole time I'm trying to track his eye lines. I'm like, wait, is he blind? Like, I'm, he, he doesn't touch oh, anyone's no. faces. So I was like madly. So does anyone remember that line or what precisely no. he says? He, he said he, he had to watch it through his fingers. Like he was like that watching the movie like through his holding, fingers. Like he's, like he's holding his fingers up in front of his eyes. Oh, through like his fingers, not through yes. his fingers. Yes. God yes. damn it. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So he Maybe, is not blind. Yeah. He is scared of things. Through his fingers. Oh, jeez. Yes. Like he's he's watching it. Right. You know, his fingers. scared. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fine. I, I I'll I'll have a I'll have a conversation with the screenwriter later. Although that would have been cool. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. A lot of people. A lot of people actually have a complaint about the H character not having seen The Shining because they feel like it's out of place or out of character. In because in the book, H is like just as into all of the holiday stuff as. Wade is, and so it makes no sense that that character wouldn't have seen The Shining anyway. But it's it's such a minor nitpick, nerdy point. To yeah, me. I, I guess it, it ties into kind of a larger a larger set of questions I had about like how, I, like, I, I guess I guess what we're we're not actually seeing the future's perspective on art from the eighties and seventies. What we're seeing is a specific, very tiny subculture that exists in the future's perspective on the art of the 70s and 80s. And I, I guess that's what's, what was kind of confusing for me is I, I, I was trying to get a sense of how important is Atari and Robert Zemeckis in the 2040s? Like that that's what I, I that would be an interesting question for me to ask. Yeah. And, and I think we're, we're just getting a slice of it. The book, the book explains that very oh, well. No, you're not that was one of the things that I thought no, was no, missing no, no, no. in the exposition for the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, like sorry, the I'm whole reason that these things are all back. Yeah, no. The whole reason that these things are all back is because everybody got like super into them as part of trying to find this. And so right. like we've all gone back to the 80s because of solely because of this obsession with this with finding the treasure. And so like people get obsessed with this because they don't have time for regular pop culture, anything that's actually being made now. And I I missed that I thought that was weird that that was I, I mean, and maybe it was because they toned back how many references were in the movie. Um, but and but so truly, but truly, that's to, just that true for as obsessed. But, but yeah, truly, that's just that, that's um, surely that's just true for the Gunters. It's a we're talking right. about a subculture within a mm-hmm. subculture. So like, I, but I, yes. but again, you I don't know. Every movie has to pick the scope of its perspective, and we're only you know we're, mm-hmm. we're kind of we're kind of seeing the world of the 2040s through the eyes of you know like a dozen people. Um, yeah. So I I, 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 I spent a lot of yes. my time kind of puzzling over that. It's very much like a post-apocalypse of sorts. You know, it's not like there was a nuclear war, but there's basically the world is terrible and, mm-hmm. and all, all anybody wants to do is just be in virtual reality. Okay. And that brings me to my second serious question for you guys. Uh, kind of a larger question is like how, like, uh, in your opinion, is the Oasis being proposed as... A, a good thing or a bad thing? Do you think that morally, where where is the movie coming down on it? Because at the end, it's sort of like this really great idea for there not to be an oasis two days out of the week. As no, I'm like being totally serious. I had a long conversation about that. Right, one. as if it's somehow harmful to to be yeah. there all the time, and I I get that, but then. You know, but it's see at the beginning, it's set up as like no, no, this the, the oasis is the reason why humanity has will to live. 
So where do you guys come down on that? Yeah, the movie's definitely making that point. It's saying, you know, yes. you got to live in the real world. You got to, you know, you, in order to have real connections with people, you have to do it in real life and you have to eat real food and, and experience human, humans together. Um, you're never going to get that uh, in, in virtual reality, no matter what you do. So I think that's mm-hmm. pretty clear. Um, whether or not it's morally the the answer, uh, I don't know. Um, maybe in in maybe that's why the the world is so terrible because everybody is so shuttered and, and sheltered from reality. Um, it's just making things worse. I don't know. I, and I think they kind of hinted that in the movie. I think the movie definitely does come from a this can be a good thing, but don't let it take over your life kind of perspective. Um, and uh, which which. I do not think was present in the book. I think that was a movie specific add on um, and a movie specific perspective. Um, I I think it gets a little bit complicated because I think the Oasis is clearly like essentially what the internet has grown into in this future. And if people just decided to shut down the web two days a week, <laughs> that would be interesting. And my husband and I had a yeah. whole long conversation about the, the, the implications of that, how that would go down for like people who have to work online. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I definitely think that's, that's perspective that the movie is, is taking, that they're trying to, um, to, they are trying to make a point that real reality is better than online, whatever. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all right. So let's, <laughs> <laughs> um, let's go ahead and put it up against the chart then, um, and see how it goes. I, I would say, Doug, that you definitely should read the book. I, I think you'll get a lot out of the book that the movie completely glossed over. All right. Um, it's, I have found on the flip side a, that people who did not like the book tend to really, to, to, are, are liking the movie a lot. I, yes, that's true. Oh, that's Which interesting. But these are the, these are also the so people that think that it's, that it's all about the author name dropping. Mm. And that's all that, it, that's all <laughs> yeah. that matters, which I don't think is yes. true at all. I think it, it makes no. complete sense in the book. Um, <laughs> It's a quick read too. It it yeah could be easily be done in a weekend. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, first movie up against Ready Player One is Interview with the Vampire. This is the Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, uh, Antonio Banderas. I didn't know he was in that. Oh yes, long oh, elegant hair. I didn't remember hair. that either. Oh, supple olive skin. <laughs> yes, Antonio. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's interesting to me that the Vampire Chronicles didn't become like a major movie franchise because it seemed like there, there aren't there like twelve books or something crazy. Like <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a big a, book series. It's a huge series. Yeah, it, it was, um, in, and, and this was only a couple of years before like Buffy. So that was the vampire right. trend was clearly like poised to be a thing. Yeah, surprised that it hasn't. You know, nobody's taken up the torch to to continue it. Well, there was a period in the mid nineties where. You, like franchises just didn't kick off. Like for whatever reason, yeah. people were just mm-hmm. didn't do them um, in, in uh, against movies that are like would be a no brainer franchise 10 years before or after. I mean, I just wrote a blurb on Willow. Like Willow is another one of those. Mm-hmm. I mean, they would be 15 yeah. movies about Willow if they'd made it now. Yeah. The world building yeah. is so good in that. Um, I, I like the interview with the vampire. I thought it was pretty good. Um, I haven't seen it since the mid nineties, but um I, I have fond memories of it. I don't know. It's not better than Ready Player One. 
are probably pretty close on my chart. Um, so I, I like Interview with the Vampire. It's fun. Um, uh, I think I'm gonna vote Ready Player One. I think I'm. I think I'm going to to assume that with as, as it settles that Ready Player One I will like better than I like now. The as 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 I continue to separate out the movie from the book, I think that I will like Ready Player mm. One better than I do at this moment. So I'm going to assume that that's the case <laughs> and I'm going to vote Ready Player One. I don't think yeah. I'm going to like Interview with a Vampire anymore than I do now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I think so. I'm going to I'm going to agree. I mean, I think that Interview with the Vampire is actually last couple of times I've seen it. It's good. It showed its age a little bit. Uh, I think Ready Player One it has a lot of nuance that I'm going to continue to discover as uh, as I rewatch it. All right, so Ready Player One beats Interview with a Vampire. Now we got Ready Player One against Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. This is very good, solid, uh, very touching story, and very, uh, very impressive martial arts. I, I imagine, Doug, that you have a very specific take on Crouching Tiger <laughs> with your. Uh, your martial arts experience. Yeah, I mean, as a martial arts nerd, uh, Crouching Tiger is, of course, an important film in in the pantheon. Um, I think that I, I'm, I'm gonna, I, whenever Crouching Tiger comes up in, in matchups, I, I think it's a better love story than it is actually as a martial arts film. I mean, I think the martial arts is amazing, mm. but it uses the martial arts as a storytelling mechanism for this um, these amazing series of you know inter- interlocking love stories. Uh, it's it's yeah. going to take this matchup for me. I find it a very powerful film, um, especially given, I mean, especially given the the cultural and language barriers. Like it's a completely alien style of filmmaking, uh, especially for the year two thousand. But for from you know mostly right. what I'm I don't I don't watch a lot of uh, Chinese language films. But I mean I watch a lot more now now that you know and so do so does a lot of the West now that Crouching Tiger uh, told us how great it is. I remember when it was in theaters. I mean it was it was huge um, and it, it made a big splash. And I it was one of those movies where you'd go up to the theater and it'd be like. Just, just so you know, there are subtitles in this movie. You do have to read. Um, warning, you know, Middle America that um, they're about to see a movie that's not in English. Yeah, I'm, I'm voting Ready Player One here. I think I, I prefer the world building in that. Um, and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is fine. I probably, I didn't get as much out of it as I, as I wanted to. Um. But I'm, I'm, I remember being good, but I, I definitely think I was going to go back and rewatch one. I'd rewatch Ready Player One. All right. So Ready Player One is going to be Crouching Tiger. And then Ready Player One is up against Pirates of the Caribbean. The first one. <sighs> the only good one from what I've heard. I, I believe I've been vocal about my love for Pirates of the Caribbean for that first movie before on the podcast uh, it's definitely yeah. winning against ready player one i just find it so delightful and it it does bring me the sense of of joy and delight at the silliness of it that i i didn't find in the movie of ready player one so i'm voting pirates 
Wow. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, I, yeah, there mm. is a sense of play to it, which ironically is not in Ready Player One. Like, there, it's not, <laughs> it's a very heavy, serious film. Yeah. Uh, with the exception of T.J. Miller being hilarious, um, but he, even he delivers all of his jokes deadpan. Like there's very little laughing right. in Ready Player One. But in, in Pirates, you're right. Even the score and and the the way that the characters interact, it's it's just there's joy and lightness to it. Damn it, I can't believe I'm saying that. Yeah, Pirates. <laughs> all right, Pirates beats Ready Player One, and now we've got Ready Player One. Up against Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. <laughs> no, no I'm, I'm sorry, Doctor Jones. <laughs> no, this is the one that everybody seems to hate on. Nobody likes Temple of Doom unless they're comparing it to Crystal Skull. <sighs> and some of us, not even then. Oh, jeez. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm definitely voting Ready Player One. I I don't like Temple of Doom. It's it's messy and awkward and strange and uncomfortable. And Ready Player One is less of that. Doug? Oh, yeah, no, definitely not Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. <laughs> I think that, I mean, there's a couple Indiana Jones films that might have a chance here. Not that one. Not mm-hmm. one where I have to watch a snake be cut open. Ooh, okay. <laughs> All right. So Ready Player One beats Temple of Doom. Uh, Ready Player One against The Sixth Sense. Hmm. Huh. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm going to go with The Sixth Sense here. It, I think that there is an economy of filmmaking. Like, they, they, so The Sixth Sense is about economy and minimalism, and Ready Player One is a maximalist <laughs> film, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is its own kind of fun, I guess. Uh, I my mm-hmm. kind of cinema is much darker and more simpler. I am one hundred percent voting Sixth Sense. It's in my top twenty. I think it has a uh, a really essential message of empathy to it. And Ready Player One, while fun and enjoyable, cannot measure up to that for me. All right, so Sixth Sense beats Ready Player One. Now, Nathan, just so I have you down on my score sheet here, which one would you have chosen? Um, Ready Player One. Okay, all right. Just curious. Yeah. Uh, Ready Player One against RoboCop. I have not seen RoboCop, so I'm going to have to sit this one out. Ooh. All right, Doug. I, it's up to you and me. I have seen RoboCop a lot. A yeah. dangerous amount <laughs> I have seen RoboCop. <laughs> I love it. It's an incredible film. It's it drops off sharply with the sequels, just like Rambo. It was this is from an era before they really know how to do franchises, but I think it's an incredibly moving story. Definitely got my vote. Yep, me too. Uh, I love RoboCop. I love Verhoeven uh, of that era and the uh, the dark humor mixed with violence, mixed with science fiction. It's just it's a good good potpourri it's it's a good uh, mix of stuff um as much fun as ready player one is uh, it's not nearly as subversive and and uh mind blowing uh as robocop is to me so robocop's gonna win over ready player one uh ready player one against id4 independence day definitely ready player one for me 
Uh, Independence Day is eh. It's fine. <laughs> I I don't care about it very much. Um, I want it to be more fun than it is. But Ready Player One is 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 it is more fun. Although we do have that terrible poster there, which is the one where he has like the terrifyingly long right leg. <laughs> <laughs> which which apparently has been debunked because somebody like measured it and showed that it was actually accurate and stuff. I don't know. It, it's such a weird, it is a weird poster. God, get a job, internet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, have, I have come to the conclusion that Independence Day is a bad movie. It's a, <laughs> it, it's very, it's been a very upsetting thing for, for me to, to come to, I guess it took me about five years before I kind of admitted it to myself. I think that it's it, it's really it's really schlocky. I think that that it, it it made it's remembered because of its marketing and mm-hmm. because of the mm-hmm. iconic images that it had. I mean, it, the 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 spaceships are truly terrifying, and the explosions look okay. They look pretty good for decent for for the time, but. Um, I'm not it, it the um, the dialogue and the sense of humor belongs to a different era and uh, it's not one that I like definitely RPO for me alright yeah it, it. I definitely think Ready Player One is the better movie but I, I do remember really enjoying Independence Day when I saw it in the theater um, and it, it's it is schlock but it's it's enjoyable schlock it's 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 <laughs> it's fun um, and it doesn't take itself too seriously, and it's um, it definitely st- started my love of uh, disaster porn movies. I think uh, it was it was the the genesis of that for me because um, it when I was growing up, you know, I hadn't seen the stuff from the seventies like Towering Inferno or Earthquake or uh Poseidon adventure any of that stuff so my introduction to disaster movies was independence day so it it holds a a spot in my heart for that but uh yeah ready player one's gonna beat it here we go ready player one against star wars (laughs) yeah star wars wins hands down yeah yeah it does (laughs) yeah it's just a more coherent story yeah uh ready player one against unbreakable Nope, nope. Unbreakable is is unimpeachable. <laughs> I love Unbreakable. It's, I need to rewatch it. I really I, it, do. I think it's like in my top ten or something. Like I, I, I just can't get enough of it. And I mean, I, I eventually, I, I eventually got it on Blu-ray because I hadn't seen it for many years. And on Blu-ray, it's even better. He has such a control of color. I, I really need to see it again because I don't remember it being that great. I don't remember it being this like masterpiece that it has sort of grown to become uh, in, in so many people's minds. And I don't, I don't know. I, 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 I remember it just being okay and not being that, that much of a, a film, but I, I, it's genuinely because I just haven't, I don't have enough memory of it. I got to see it again. Yeah, I feel like I missed something as well for Unbreakable. And I'm I'm typically the the Shyamalan apologist. <laughs> and this one this one is one for whatever reason that everybody else got on board with and I felt like I just missed it. And I don't think it's a bad movie by any means. I I enjoyed it, but I definitely 
never quite saw the genius in it that other people did. Um, so I'm I'm voting Ready Player One, but one of these days I'm gonna figure out yeah. <laughs> what it is what it is with Unbreakable that people love and how I can love it too. Well, the 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 next movie in the Unbreakable trilogy is is going to be coming out relatively soon. So Jesus. it's it'll Think be of. it'll be good to uh, revisit for that for that sake. Groan. <laughs> ready, ready player one against uh, Unbreakable. Ready player one wins. And now we've got ready player one up against nothing. Ready player one is 96 on our chart. Right about where it is on yours. Yeah. So it's uh, above Unbreakable, Independence Day, 300, The Mask, and below Star Wars, Finding Nemo, Robocop, yep. and Mrs. Doubtfire. Yep. Good, good. That seems about right. All right, then. Well, this is a wrap then for this episode of Flick Fights. Uh, but please follow our progress. Uh, friend us on Flickchart as uh, Flick Fights is our username there. And you can follow us on Twitter at Flick Fights and find us on Facebook. And if you want to be a future guest on the show and fight these movies with us, just send us an email to flickfights at flickchart.com. And from all of us at Flick Fights, Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.